Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, and I am Bill Bennett. Yes, you are. Claude Jennings. Yes, I am. It's the voice, Claude Jennings. People like that voice. They loved your story about Christmas. And oh, yeah. Watching the movie or watching the <laughs> Cowboys. They love that story. Yeah. Right. This is Bennett liked it. I think you liked it when your wife said, well, I've got the women downstairs and relatives mm-hmm. and getting ready to watch, what was it? Uh, Woman King. Woman King. Mm-hmm. Said the family's downstairs about to watch Woman King. You're about to watch Cowboys. Correct. She came in and said that, and you said, what, is, what does this have to do with me? To yeah. me? We're about to watch the movie. Okay. No need to tell me that. It's kind of like biblical. <laughs> what, what, has, what has this to do with me? Right. <laughs> Woman. Right. Anyway. So well, it's family. You said no. Your family's right yeah, here. Yeah, your family's here. Your Wearing husband and cowboy son, jerseys. Yeah, are yeah. watching the game. That's where. That's right. where your family is. All right. Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. We'll get into that more. Um, we'll give you thoughtful conversation about the news of the day. Also, we'll give you some stuff that has nothing to do with the news of the day. Right. But fun. But fun. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the existential threats to America, which I do not think includes. Boxes of documents near the Corvette. I do. I actually do not think this is an existential threat. Right. Just ironic that. Well, when it, it was the other guy, then it's yeah. A big well, when deal. Trump's got documents, <laughs> it's a big deal. When Biden does, yeah. it's not. It's, oh goodness! Unless some of those boxes were hidden there because they have incriminating stuff about Hunter and right Ukraine and mm-hmm. China and Russia. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Right. But I. I have to tell you, I think all in all, it's largely a distraction. Of course it is. From the border. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Real problems. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll do all that. Today, we'll be joined by Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas. They have joined us before, smart guys. Yes. Uh, Brian Kennedy's president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. Joel, Joel Farkas, the director of the American Strategy Group, a director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Uh, before we get to Brian and Joel, I think I heard this right. California, which has the or the second highest tax rate in the nation, mm-hmm. has a $30 billion deficit. Texas, which has no state tax, non-zero, mm-hmm. has a $30 billion surplus. How is that possible? <laughs> I think I got that right. Take a look. We can check on that later. Yeah, it looks like California has yeah close to thirty million, uh, thirty billion. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. The, uh, this latest number as of seven days ago is twenty two and a half billion dollar okay. deficit. It's probably going to thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Texas. Yeah. And so the and the Texas surplus uh, as of seven days ago about thirty three billion dollars. So you got a, t- a state <laughs> with no taxes because a thirty three billion dollar surplus. Mm-hmm. State with huge ta- state taxes has a deficit. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. You yeah. would assume that one would say, well, let's see what they're doing and see if we can mimic that here. So, but Be sure I ask the, the guys about this one. Sure. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing uh, that I mentioned that I certainly want to ask the boys about is new subcommittee in the Congress on China, mm-hmm. and it's chaired by Mike Gallagher. We talked about him before. We have. Uh-huh. Marine. Yes. We've interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to college with my older son, served in the Marine Corps with my younger son, and knows a ton about China. This is one of these kind of superhuman beings. He just sits there on TV with a Packer shirt on, <laughs> you know, Wisconsin <laughs> right. guy. But, mm-hmm. you know, and he was at that desolate game the other night. Yeah. They lost. But yeah. 
but he is a brilliant guy. I have five languages, PhD, mm-hmm. Marine Corps. I have high hopes for that committee. Okay. And I want to ask um, Ryan and Joel about that. And uh, we'll ask our friend Gordon Chang about sure, that. Sure, yeah, too. we'll get him on. Good. Soon. Great. Okay. Uh, we will uh, talk to the guys. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. Okay, let's welcome Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas to the show. Gentlemen, welcome back. Let's do a jump ball here. I just read that California, which has one of the highest state tax rates in the country, has got about a 25 to $30 billion deficit. And I just read that Texas, which has no state taxes, has a $35 billion surplus. How is that possible? Let's start with the Democrats have a supermajority in the state legislature. The governor is from San Francisco. Uh, Basically, the state's run by San Francisco, which has a population of about 800,000 people, the city of San Francisco, that runs a state of 40 plus million people. Um, That's all there is in San Francisco, 800,000. That's all there is, about 820,000 people. There are actually more dogs and cats as pets than children in the state of San Francisco. I'm not surprised. Do they vote? Uh, some <laughs> you'll have to ask Brian that. But uh, the dogs and cats, yes, the dogs and cats do vote. It's voting like cats and dogs. They say out there. Okay. Yeah. The other interesting Go thing ahead. about California in the last uh, Wendell Cox, who's a demographer, just noted uh, with the last census in the last twenty years, three and a half million people, more people have left California yeah. than. Um, and the interesting thing about that figure is three and a half million people is greater than every metro, uh, city in America, but for Los Angeles and New York and greater than population in 31 states in the United States. Well, that's huge. That's a huge exodus, isn't it? Huge. Yeah. A lot of those people have actually gone to Texas, haven't they? Texas, Idaho, Montana, Nevada. Wyoming, uh, Florida, Nevada, Tennessee, if you like football, which you do, most of the Southeastern Conference schools. Yeah. I think one thing you could say, Bill, is that, that in California, they're taxing productivity. When the highest tax rate's 13%, they're taxing people's productivity. So when you do that, people will find ways of not paying it, whether it's going to a different state, the way you just said, or, or simply not working as hard as they used to. And when the federal government is giving them options of not working through whatever means, and the state of California is giving them options for not working, then you're going to have economic dislocations uh, on a very large scale. In Texas, people still pay taxes, but they're paying property taxes. Yeah, And they see, the, and they see those property taxes as paying for an investment in the infrastructure of the state, which people generally <laughs> are happy to pay because... They enjoy those things every day, whether it's their own roads or sewers or, you know, all the things Joel knows so well. People will pay for something that they see and they use every day. Whereas in California, they're talking about reparations for slavery. California was never a slave state. Yeah. But they're talking they're talking about some $500 billion to give to people in California who can claim somehow that they have a slave past in California. Tucker Carlson did a great piece on this the other day. But it, it's just, 
it's just madness and people in California see it. And so people find ways of not paying taxes. Apple, which is a big California company, Apple Music is incorporated in Ireland uh-huh. because they don't want they don't want to pay taxes. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there, there's ways of getting around all these things. And so don't be surprised when there's revenue shortfalls based on just the, the, the crazy amount of spending. And, and to continue with what Brian was just saying, in addition to the exodus of people, and those are mainly middle class people, there's an exodus of businesses. They've got the businesses have packed up and left to all those other states along with the people. Um, that's the, Brian mentioned reparations. San Francisco is their city council is now proposing up to five million dollars per African American person who can prove that they've had some level of connection to San Francisco, 5 million per person. San Francisco is on the, on the path of being like the lost city of Atlantis. A hundred years from now, people are going to be studying why it was just decimated. It doesn't exist anymore. I've been looking at those maps. People are leaving California, New York, Illinois. I think those are the top three Exodus states going to Texas, Florida, North Carolina, Idaho, and the other states you mentioned. So there's a lot of movement. One of the things people worried about was in Florida and Texas is whether these Yankees moving down would change the politics of the state in a direction toward the left. It doesn't look like that's happened, certainly not in Florida. Interesting. There's three other states where people are now leaving. Um, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington, not to the extent of California. Why are they leaving those states, too? They've developed the same policies that California has, um, high taxes, terrible regulatory environment for businesses. And, and it all comes down to very high housing costs. 85 plus percent of the unaffordable um, expenses for regular people. It's not goods and services, food, transportation. 85 percent or more is housing costs. People will not stay where the place they can't afford. California, the seven largest Metropolitan areas in California, the affordable housing, meaning not affordable housing like subsidized, but where people can live and buy a home is somewhere between five and 15 percent of the people can afford a home in the seven largest metropolitan areas of California. The national average in the United States is 45 percent, which actually is skewed by the unaffordability of California. You got rid of California, New York, it'd be higher than that. Well, they're leaving, as Brian said. They will find a way not to pay whatever you call it, a tax, a fee, a rate, an expense. I mean, you can, you can put on any kind of name you want to it. People are not going to listen to it, no matter what um, the media describes as where they should be. I had a question, Joel, about something you just said. I saw that people were leaving Washington, Oregon. Are they leaving Seattle and Portland or are they leaving in other parts of the state because of Seattle and Portland? Well, predominantly, so the, the numbers are they're leaving the metropolitan areas of Seattle, Portland, Portland, and the Denver metro area because these are not high population states. I mean, uh, you know, Colorado's got, uh, you know, about 5 million people or fewer. Same thing with Washington. Oregon's probably 3 million or something. I'm not sure those are exact numbers. So when you look at the people moving, the way the places they are moving from are the very high cost metropolitan areas. Um, now, you 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 are, though, you know, seeing in, in all of those states a desire. Eastern Washington, 
Eastern Oregon and, you know, North and Northeastern Colorado, they would like to, to leave either join another state or create their own state. Um, now, will that ever happen? Uh, highly unlikely, but the sentiment you're referring to is also very palpable. But they keep electing the same people for the most part in Oregon and Washington. Yeah, they do. Why? <laughs> well, I would, I would say we don't know. The one true thing about our politics today is if anybody has hard conclusions to draw from an election, I would say, show me the evidence. Yeah, yeah. Because just get, just given how skewed our election process is today, it's very hard to draw conclusions. You know, Washington, yep. Oregon, these are beautiful states. Who there wouldn't want to live there? Who sure wouldn't want to live there? But are the elections free and fair there? It, it just doesn't look like it in so many in there and in so many other places. And there's, you know, there, there's a lot of folks who are who are wealthy who live there who are willing, like in California, to pay high high taxes and to suffer the consequences of crazy liberal policies and don't seem to care. But you, you, your earlier question, Bill, about about people moving from these places to the free parts of the country, let's just call them, they're yeah. moving for freedom. It's not yeah. just taxes. Yeah. It's just yeah. not just regulation. Yeah. They're moving because of that. But they, I think they, they group those in with general quality of life, low crime, freedom, low taxes. They want to live in an older America and pursue an American way of life that they used to enjoy and that you simply can't do certainly in America's big cities. I know a very well-heeled uh, Californian uh, who could afford to live in California and live well had five kids and decided to move to Texas uh, because the schools, he just didn't like what they were teaching in the schools. That, that, that's part of your quality of life, right, Brian? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The extreme left progressive liberal opposition to what we're talking about will say the reason why uh, urban areas cost so much is because uh, the people who promote the lack of housing are typically white. They're typically wealthy and they typically don't like change, which is their way of saying they are racist. That is their argument. I mean, and this is these are not left wing. I mean, extreme people. This is Ezra Klein in a, interviewing you know, a, a Vox reporter who he calls as an expert on housing and all these kinds of issues and does wonderful, quote unquote, wonderful reporting. They absolutely do acknowledge the worst places for crime, affordability and safety and security in schools are in metropolitan areas run by Democrats. Yeah. Yet it's not because of the policies is their argument. It is because of the things I just said. And um which is, I don't understand why people vote that way, but I do understand if the people in charge refuse to acknowledge the problem, it will never change. Which is why, you know, in my business, people vote with their feet or when they, with their U-Hauls. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I, I, I mean, I know where they're voting because I know where they're going. You know, I, the conversation as it's, as you guys are talking and it's descending on me and sinking in, Makes me sad because I, as, as I think about these places, you know, I didn't spend a zillion hours in them, but I, I've spent time in all of them. And, and 
I just I, I got sad. I was just thinking what you said about Oregon. I remember a day I hiked on the slopes of Mount Hood in Oregon. I had a speech the day before in Bend, beautiful place, and then drove to the airport and flew out. I think I had dinner at Jake's, which is a great seafood place downtown. It was safe. In Seattle, you know, going to it was, it was a great bustling city and going to the harbor and walking around by the docks, going to the fish market. And you know, it was years ago and and again, very safe and they weren't declaring, you know, revolution. And in California, my gosh, for a while I was living on the speech circuit and I I remember most of the invitations I got were to California and San Francisco, and I'd, I'd stay at the top of the hill and walk the hills, you know, and I remember getting up in the morning and putting on jogging stuff and running down the hill and then down and around and the harbor and then back up through going back into the hotel and what a joyous, bustling city it was. And what a delight to go there. And I went there probably six times a year. That's that's not it anymore, huh? I think we need to embrace the notion that we're living through a communist revolution here <laughs> where mm-hmm. radical leftists who are indeed communists, right? We fought the Cold War and it turns out we didn't really win the Cold War because whereas the Soviet Union had to reorganize, the communists here at home here at home dug in and they took over the institutions and they took over the universities and they took over local government and city councils and the regulatory bodies that surround various parts of the state. And they have now control over many states in this country and its big cities. And they are communist revolutionaries. And they wish to drive conservatives out of their states and out of their cities somewhere else. And they need they need for them to go in some ways because they want the freedom to have their own left-wing, progressive, communist, however you want to phrase it, revolutionary place. And that's true in Washington and Oregon and California and Illinois and New York and places that you wouldn't even imagine. The communists are on the march. They think they can win a revolution. They're in the process of winning a revolution. They think they can overthrow elections. They look at what happened in 2020 with the riots. Did anybody stop them in those riots? No. Look at what they're doing to our schools. Is anybody stopping them? Governor Youngkin in in Virginia is trying. Governor DeSantis certainly is doing it in Florida. Is anybody else doing it? Not really. Are the Republicans in Congress fighting? Not really. We're going to right. we're going to find out. But if we don't embrace the notion when we talk about all these bad things, we say them as if they're just happening, uh, you know, in the abstract or happening because things are going to hell. They're happening because people want them to happen. They are doing this on purpose. There is active measures being taken by the radical left to remake America. And our side has yet to come to grips with that because everybody has such a, what I call a normalcy bias. They want, they want the world to get back to normal, right? It's not getting back to normal. There is a revolution going on. And until people embrace that, we're going to be in trouble. Well, one more thing, uh, in addition to what, what Brian just laid out, we look at in housing is the the rate of of child and family formation, the total fertility rate. It is a declining to where it's down to levels that we only see in Japan, in in our cities. Um, what that means, and that is not by happenstance. It is by design, because the people that Brian just described also want 
reduced populations, substantially reduced populations, declining populations. Um, and the way you get to it is you create these things called um, urban growth boundaries or some sort of a regulatory regime to restrict where you can build and where you can live and who can live there. And all of those things are done by design. They're at complete cross purposes with affordability. We also know wherever these places are, these things are restricted, housing is restricted, housing costs skyrocket. And yet they go, the elected officials say, what are we going to do about affordable housing? Well, they know exactly what they're doing about it. And they're doing it on purpose, as Brian said. This is not, um, they're not stupid. It's hard for, for the people who oppose that to say, hey, they're just crazy and dumb. No, not in their minds. It's what they want. And one more thing briefly, what Brian said earlier about taxing productivity, um, it's not just the elected officials. It's our all of the businesses that are the large companies that employ a lot of people. They don't create new jobs necessarily, but they employ a lot of people. They don't view employees as some sort of an asset or some sort of a of, of, of something that's important to them. And I know they go out and say, our people are the reason we are who we are. It's not true. We we're, we just saw it last week. Goldman Sachs laid off 3,200 people last week. Why? They didn't make very much money in the fourth quarter. Their revenue was down. Their co- they said their costs are too high. What are their costs? Uh, benefits and salaries and too many people. So if these people are, quote unquote, assets for their company, why they lay them off? You know how they laid them off? Every 30 minutes or every hour on the hour, they sent a bunch of people calendar invites to come to see whoever their bosses were. Calendar invites to say, you're gone. That's not how uh, the, the, the people in the United States who want individual freedom and liberty, I don't think they want to be notified that yesterday they were an asset and today they are fired by an invite. Yeah. And, and one last point on the racism part of home ownership. The greatest increase of home ownership is through people of minorities and people of color, Asian, African-American, Hispanic, Indian, all other kinds of people. They are the fastest increased purchasers of homes. They do not believe home ownership is racist. They don't believe moving to other locales is racist. They want... They they know what it's like to live in a tyrannical situation. They don't want it. And so there is some hope. But the narrative is just despicable. If what Brian is saying about communist revolutions taking place, either the American people don't know it or they're indifferent to it. Or was it the normalcy that they want back, Brian, that kept them from it? We didn't. We thought we'd see a red wave. Remember? In November. Now, that may fall into your notion of the, you know, the election stuff which is we can't trust that anyway. But I, I, I got a sense there wasn't any red wave, whether it was unfairly blocked or not, was there? Yeah, the red wave question's an interesting one. Let me answer it this way before we get to the red wave. Like we're talking about population declining, right? And Joel's talking about people wanting to buy homes and wanting to have families. Some people are optimistic. Some people are not optimistic. Some people are worried. I mean, I think almost everyone should be worried about the future. I think there is a growing sentiment among the American people that, in fact, we are in a communist revolution. The American people are pretty smart. They see what's going on. Do people have babies during wars, right? Do, do populations increase during wars or do they decrease after wars? 
right? The baby boom in this country after World War II comes yeah. to mind. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they didn't have, you know, they were, they were still, you know, having relations, as they used to say, but they didn't have babies. They had babies after the war. When you're in the middle of a war, you, you tend to think about fighting the war. That war today is happening, and people's response to it is moving to places where they think they're going to be better suited to fight the war. So people move from the highly regulated Democrat-run places to Texas and to Florida and to Tennessee and to those SEC uh, places Joel was describing because they think if the war is coming, I'd rather be with people who are like me and believe like me. So that's why they move. Because I think the American people see that they're in a war. In Florida, the population went up by, or the, the political population, as it were, went up by 400,000 Republicans. Yeah. Governor DeSantis, who I've said is the best governor in America, he changed the election laws to where there would be very limited mail-in balloting. And when you did vote, you had to show your ID. And there were some other changes too. In Florida, when that took place, there was in Florida a red wave because people believed that it was going to be a fair election. And yeah. a lot of people had moved there who had a disposition toward freedom. Yep. Yep. And yep. the Republicans yep. got it. voiced the spirit of freedom. Now, everywhere else in the country, that didn't happen. And a lot of people thought, I wonder if this is going to be a fair election. And there was the near universal use of mail-in balloting in most of, in, in some of the other key places in the country. And the Republicans didn't run in those places much of an election, I didn't think. They weren't really talking. They weren't fighting much or didn't have a fighting spirit. And so there wasn't a red wave. You look in places like, you know, Arizona, Nevada, some of the numbers were down. Uh, in Nevada, the, the, I think the, the votes were down like 5% from what they thought they would be. And the reason, by most accounts, is that people didn't think the elections were going to be fair. And yeah. so, but, but yet, yet, yet political scientists are not, not are, are loathe today to say those things, they'd rather attribute it to Donald Trump and MAGA and racism and you name it. So our politics is going through a, a, a very tumultuous time, too. We have certain people who think that there can be fair elections and those who think there can't be fair elections. And in the middle of that becomes the, the, the conditions are created for revolution, the way I was suggesting, that people no longer trust that the system is fair and they turn on the news every day and the system doesn't quite seem to be fair. And that's a problem okay. in a free society. It should not be controversial to show your ID to vote in order to open a bank account, mm -hmm. to rent a car, check into a hotel, pretty much anything to, 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 to get to a, to go to a, a bar. You need to show a form of ID and a credit card. It's not controversial. Got it. Got it. Brian, what was the restriction? that uh, Governor DeSantis imposed? Well, he did two things. He got rid of mail-in balloting unless, you know, you're in the military or you're permanently oh. confined. Very, so, very limited mail-in balloting. Very limited. And when you did go vote in person, you had to show your ID. And those two things gave people confidence uh, that the election would be fair. And they had a red wave in Florida. Now, there's a lot of great politicians down there, and there are more Republicans move have moved down there or people who 
may have previously not been Republicans, but it became Republicans. But there you have there you have a red wave. Everywhere else, no red wave. Got you. Let's talk about this uh, election and this Congress. We have a new Congress. We have a uh, majority, barely Republican majority. We have a uh, Speaker of the House from California. Interesting for, for our discussion. Uh, any comment there, Joel? What can we expect from this Congress? Seems to me not much. I mean, even if we're all aimed in the right direction, virtually anything it does that would be legislative would be, you know, would require the Senate to be with it and then the signature of the president. So I don't I don't know that what it can do um, or do much. But what, what, what's your reaction to that? Kevin McCarthy, a speaker, the Republican majority. What can we hope for or wish for realistically from Washington? Well, California um also has has a very large population. It's got a supermajority of progressives and left-wing Democrats, but there's a tremendous amount of conservative, uh, liberty-loving individuals in the state of California, too. Um, Central Valley, uh, Inland Empire. I mean, the Inland Empire's got a population of more than 5 million people. It's one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. Um, these These are places where people... Just because you live in California doesn't mean by happenstance because your leaders are different like what we're talking about. And so I think it's instructive that, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy from California is uh, is a speaker. Um, What will they do? What will Congress do? Um, I'm not I'm more optimistic about American citizens and what they will do than I am with what Congress will do. Well, I guess a question I'm asking is even before faulting them, even if they wanted to do things, all the right things, they'd be stopped, wouldn't they? President Biden's got a got a pen, got a veto pen. Yes. Yes, he has a veto pen. On the other hand, a Republican Congress can also investigate President Biden Hmm. and will will, I believe, investigate President Biden and the business dealings of his son, Hunter, which seem to be completely commingled with his own business. I know that's important. Is it important to the American people that that happened? It should be. Okay. It should be because the American people should care about justice. Okay. And and they should they should they should desperately want to get to the bottom of anything within our justice system that seems unfair or that there are two tiers of justice, one for the elite and the one and one for them. And so the dealings of Hunter Biden should matter an awful lot. I've actually recently gone through a report about the Hunter Biden laptop, and it was remarkable what what he was doing and all the business connections he was making in Ukraine and in China. You know, Peter Schweitzer's written about this. Uh-huh. Other people have, but you know, Garrett Ziegler and a team of investigators went through the the laptop, and I, I was going through the. There's a salacious part, the the drugs and the prostitutes, all all that part. The interesting piece about that was, you know, most derelicts, your run-of-the-mill derelict, when they're paying for an Eastern European escort, you think would pay in cash, not Hunter Biden. He would would wire them money or send them money out of a bank account that was easily traceable. And when you go through the whole thing, it's really as if he – New people would be watching what he was doing and would let him get away with it because he has these elaborate, you know, money transfers. First of all, he spent more time just managing the Eastern European escorts than I'm pretty sure he did anything else. 
Yeah. If he'd have put that, if he'd have put that much energy into real business, that guy would be a billionaire. Yeah. But instead, yeah. instead, all of his energy was managing the Eastern European escorts. And so it's a very convoluted, you know, sad story of corruption at the highest levels. And yes, the American people want to know that story because the American people, as I say, should care very much about justice. The Republican Congress, Republican Congress can investigate these things and should investigate these things. And the Republican Congress can go after what the Chinese are doing in this country. Uh-huh. And even if, the, even if they can't pass laws restricting that, and I believe they probably could, they can tell the story of what is going on in America. And even if the mainstream media won't take account of it, there will be alternative media that will take account of it and tell the story about the Chinese elite capture of the United States. And, okay, and, I want, let, me, you know, let me interrupt you. In that regard, yeah. do you have hopes at least this much for this new subcommittee uh, chaired by Mike Gallagher? Select committee. It'll be a select committee. Yeah, select committee. On China. On China, and yeah. Mike Gallagher uh, seems to be, be a uh, the right choice for leader. He's a, a, a smart guy and a uh, has very good instincts, I think, about all of this. And I think he'll build a team of other congressmen to get to the bottom of all the things that China is doing in American society to both corrupt our elites and to undermine the prosperity of the American people. And if there's a single thing that Congress gets done in the next two years, if all they can do is get to the bottom of China and all their nefarious behavior in this country, that will be that will be an important thing, because I think it will expose a, a level of corruption on the left and the right that bears looking into. Um, I know him. Uh, you know, I, I guess I've told you guys, I don't know if I've told the audience, but uh, he went to college, pretty much close contemporary of my older son. And they were friends. And then he served in the Marine Corps with my younger son. Uh, and I had lunch with Congressman Gallagher and uh, and my younger son some time ago and was very impressed. Of course, he's very young looking. Looks to me like he's 14 years old. But a lot of people to me look like they're 14 years old now. So that's a problem. That's a different issue another time. But yeah, no, I have high hopes for that. Now, we got to give Donald Trump some credit, guys, right? I mean, he maybe didn't talk so much about Chinese influence in America, but he did kind of open American people's eyes to China, right? And and what it was doing. And he, you know, explained to the American people, to the world, that China was a villain on the world stage. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm perfectly willing to give Donald Trump all the credit you just described. Yeah. Last week, Last week, all of our financial elites were in Davos, Switzerland. They're famous for saying things that don't that aren't true. Um, most recently, George Soros gave a speech several years ago when Donald Trump was president and said the greatest threat in the world was North Korea and United States entering a nuclear war. Prior to Soros, Barack Obama, as he was leaving office, was terrified and worried, according to him, that Donald Trump would get us into a nuclear war with North Korea. Yeah. So what did Donald Trump do? He did just what you said and what Brian is an expert on. He he's he held them to account. He made them accountable for what they were what they have been doing for years, if not decades, to decimate the United States of America. And for that, uh, everybody lined up against him and called him every name in the book. 
And Brian is t- talks a lot about what our quote unquote elites or or monarchs yeah. or whatever you are yeah, tyrants yeah, do yeah. Um, all over the world. And, and and again, they're in Davos, and that's why I brought that up. Um, and they 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 don't like being not in charge. Donald President Trump uh, was in charge, and they were not, uh, so they fought back. But here they are. No one even even pays attention this year to Davos because no one believes these. Good, people. good thing. Well, yeah, every, know, time you, other, every time you bring it up, I shake my head in a little bit of shame because I was a speaker at Davos once. But you'll be—I think you'll be glad to know—a guy from AEI asked me to go and speak. He heard me speak, and he said, "You should go and give a talk about the importance of religion in Davos." I said, "Sure." And I mean, it was like sort of going to a house of ill repute and talk, asking everyone to join the choir. Religion is not a big thing in Davos, you know. I gave this talk, and people, as the local press reported, were gasping uh, on my, you know, embrace of traditional religious faith. Anyway, that was my one tour of Davos. I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure it's. I'm not sure it's Duckville. The Daily Mail no, had a report. No. The, the Daily Mail this morning had a report that that apparently the. Uh, I'm back to Eastern European escorts here. The prostitution in Davos right now, I mean, during Davos is literally going on right now. And apparently Davos during the World Economic Forum is one of these circuits for these high end prostitutes to go mm-hmm. to. And the surge of prostitutes into Davos right now is apparently enormous. So says the Daily Mail this morning. So I'm thinking your religion talk did not really stick. <laughs> or my or or my analogy, I guess, right? I guess you can't get them to join the choir. Well, so Brian, uh, uh, to, to close that loop, uh, uh, do you think uh, uh, wire transfers have increased too? Yeah, you're, I'm thinking. I'm thinking there were a lot of euros taken out of uh, ATMs. The <laughs> thing is, to... who, who is in Davos right now? By the way, are the Chinese, right? Everyone, well, John, everyone, John. yeah. John Kerry's there. He's always there, isn't he? Yes. Uh, so is Mike Gallagher. So are a lot of, you know, members of our the Republican oh, our Congress okay. t- talking about there. I'm, I'm not sure I would have gone to Davos under any circumstances, but the Chinese are but there. But it's not necessarily contagious. I mean, I may not have been persuasive, but I wasn't persuaded either. No, of course not. No, of course okay. not. But lending any legitimacy to these people I got it. Is, pro- is, is problematic. These these folks are demonic. Let us be clear. Klaus Schwab. Have you ever seen a video of Klaus Klaus Schwab? And tell the, the audience of, who he is. Remind me. He's the, head, he, he's the head of the World Economic Forum. Okay. Right. And in his office is a bust of Lenin standing, behind, you know, sitting behind him. Right. Okay. I have in my office a picture of the face of Jesus. Klaus Schwab has a bust of Vladimir Lenin. And so, and so there's a distinction to be made here between whatever's going on. Well, no, that that's an easy distinction, but this world economic forum, there's something else going on. They're telling you they want to remake the world by 2030. They want to change the world. They want to have digital control over all of us. They want to be able to shut the world down for COVID for, I mean, they're pushing vaccines still. Yeah, they want sure. they want digital IDs. They want to shut the world down if need be for environmental reasons. They're talking today about a poly crisis of environmental destruction of the planet. You know, inflation 
as if they knew anything about, even though it's the World Economic Forum, as if they knew anything about economics. They're worried about Ukraine. They're worried about proliferation. These people have a way of manipulating uh, the opinions of American elites in ways that are not useful to anybody who believes in common sense. These people are engaged in a kind of psychological warfare against everyday people, whether they're in America or around the world. And they're trying to get everyday people to believe in these crises as if it's something that only they can manage. When in fact, we know, as Joel said, he has great faith in the American people. So do I. That if there's a lesson to be learned from Davos and the World Economic Forum, is that our elites in this world are utterly corrupt. We should not listen to them. We should rely on our own common sense. And we in, we in America should rely on everything that we hold dear, which are the principles of the country, which have made us the freest and richest nation on the world. And we should no longer listen to anybody who thinks of themselves as an expert in anything because that class of people right now has utterly failed both the United States and the world. And what Davos okay. tries to do is to every year rekindle the notion that they have anything useful to say when in fact they don't. Joel, you have a final thought? Uh, two final thoughts with uh, one negative, one positive. Um, I, I mentioned Ezra Klein earlier, the interviewing a woke progressive reporter saying that um, home ownership is racist and the single greatest uh, uh, attribute to stop and stem climate change is density. Um, these are not, uh, the, the, all these issues are not, um, are connected. Climate change, domination, tyranny, tyranny, currency, housing, they're all interconnected in the, in the minds and the worlds of the tyrants that, um, that Brian's referring to. My, my, my last positive thought is about a week or so ago was almost the 250th year anniversary of Thomas Paine's Common Sense, which in <laughs> five months, six months, compelled the nation to, to abandon monarchies and kings and tyrants. And it was structured in four sections. The, last, the fourth section was answering the question, not should we do this, but how do we do this? And people were fearful that... You, that, that the, the colonists couldn't stand up to the British Navy. Thomas Paine laid out in very in 47 pages, period, 47 simple pages. Um, we have lumber, we have industrious population, we have will. The colonists could recreate something bigger, if not better, than the British Navy. And by the way, the British Navy wasn't what it appeared to be because most of the ships were in disrepair. We need... And actually, we actually have you, Bill, and you, Brian, are our version of common sense and what Payne did almost 250 years ago. It's kind. Certainly, it's kind to me. Fair to fair to Brian. Thank you, Joel. That, that, is, that is very kind. But you, you, what, you're, what you're talking about is the American spirit, which is, I think, what the three of us are, are always looking back to. You know, you live it every day, Joel, and, and Bill and I talk about it. We really do want to reignite that spirit in America, that we can be free people, and that if we can only rally the American people to the right cause, we're going to get there. Because there's nothing the American people can't do if they're, if they're shown 
where we are and where we need to go. And if the American people understood that today, we're going to be just fine. You know, that project I had in mind some time. You two as principals as a project for Western civilization. And I've decided with some regret, but with some recognition as well, to rename it the project for American civilization. I mean, I, I still love my Shakespeare and my Beethoven, but yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's America. That's it. We're, we are the bulwark, you know, and we shall nobly save or meanly lose this last best hope of earth. Lincoln said, and when he said it, I believe I'm right, he was saying this last best hope of earth, earth. that what he was talking about was not just, you know, this country, but the world was watching and that the world uh, depended on us getting it right. During the American Revolution, Shakespeare was more widely read in the American colonies than it was in England. Yeah. That the things well, that Shakespeare was talking about have been completely embraced, you know, at his best, Shakespeare, by the United States. We're the defenders of Western civilization today. Yeah, yeah. And so defending, defending American civilization is really what this is, this is all about. Next to the Bible, uh, Common Sense is one of the most widely read publications in the world. Okay, we ended with a reading list. Good. Excellent. Okay, that does it for today's show, Claude. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. Yes. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.